We continue our series on the second coming of Jesus Christ tonight by looking at 2 Nephi 19 and 2 Nephi 20, which are Isaiah 8 and 9. And, you know, tonight I am going to use Avraham Gileadi's translation of Isaiah, starting in Isaiah chapter 9, or, you know, 2 Nephi, chapter 19. But it shall not be gloomy to those who have been in anguish for her. In the past, he humbled the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali, but at last he will exalt the sea route by the Jordan and Galilee of the nations. Or in other words... You know, those who have been in anguish uh, for the Lord's people are the Lord's servants. So, you know, the day of destruction and despair will not be, you know, a time of despair for the Lord's servants. Uh, In the past, he humbled the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali. or Uh, He brought Israel into bondage and he scattered the 12 tribes of the 10 tribes of Israel. Um, But now he's going to be gathering them back again from their long dispersion. And it's by the sea route of Jordan and Galilee that the 10 tribes of Israel were scattered and now that is going to be healed and they are going to be gathered and they're going to be gathered by the Lord's end time servant and servants who will not only gather Israel, but take the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, teach it in power and authority, the power and authority of the Holy ghost to all of those who qualify for deliverance from destruction that all might have a chance to repent and return and join Zion and be saved. Verse two, the people walking in darkness have seen a bright light in the inhabitants of the land of the shadow of death has the light dawned. So the whole world is going to come into bondage, even the Lord's covenant people. Um, and the bondage that they're going to come into is wrought upon them by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, or that entity in the last days that amasses to itself a political, economic, and military power and is used as the staff in the Lord's left hand to destroy the wicked, which before he's done, you know, according to Isaiah, is about 90% of the earth's population. But, you know, before that destruction happens, there is a a general state of bondage that is brought about. And in verse 2, this darkness is a metaphor for the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, who does this work of bondage and later destruction. Has seen a bright light. Now, this bright light is a metaphor for the Lord's end time servant who will deliver the Lord's people from the darkness or from the bondage of the king of Assyria. On the inhabitants 
of the land of the shadow of death. Okay, death is another metaphor for the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And it also lets us know how severe this bondage will be. That it will be so severe, it will literally bring many down unto death. And that's what it's designed to do. And unless the Lord's end time servant, the light, were to intervene, then all people would be brought down unto death and destruction. On the inhabitants of the land of the shadow of death has the light dawned. So the Lord's people should not give up hope, even when they see the tyranny and bondage coming and they find themselves trapped in it. Because if they will remain true and faithful, they may trust the Lord that he will deliver them. In fact, those are the people who are going to make it, those who rely upon the Lord, those who trust him, those who believe in him, and you know, follow his counsel about how we are to repent and return. Verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice at your presence as men rejoice at harvest time, or as men are joyous when they divide spoil. So, we have a massive reversal of circumstances, especially from Isaiah 7 and 8, where the people are brought into bondage and great destruction is wrought out upon the land. Uh, but here we find that the Lord's people will not be destroyed, that he is sending a deliverer to them. And we know from DNC 101 and 103, that this deliverer, the Lord's end time servant is Joseph Smith Jr. And that most of the prophecies and revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants regarding Joseph Smith pertain not to his first ministry, but to his second. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. Well, the joy comes and the rejoicing comes and the joyousness comes when the Lord's people are delivered out of bondage. And not only are they delivered out of bondage, but there is a reversal of circumstances. And, you know, they begin to prevail against those who brought them into bondage. Um you know, that's what the phrase means, joyous when they divide the spoil at the end of verse 3. Verse 4, for you have smashed the yoke that burdened them, the staff of submission, the rod of those who subjected them, as in the day of Midian's defeat. Now, the yoke and this staff and this rod are also metaphors for the king of Assyria, king of Babylon that end-time entity who does the work of destruction. So the Lord's end-time servant is the one who is going to be smashing the yoke of the king of Babylon, king of Assyria, that had brought the Lord's people into bondage and submission. You know, in the day of Midian's defeat, and again, it was Gideon uh, who acted as the Lord's uh, servant to destroy the Midianites. And 
you know, in this passage, the Lord's end time servant, Joseph Smith Jr., is being compared to Gideon. And the victory that Gideon had was not uh, a victory of armaments. It was a victory of divine intervention and manifestation of the Lord's power. Verse 5, and all boots used in battle and the tunics rolled in blood have become fuel for bonfires. So the very implements of war that have been used to bring the Lord's people into bondage um, will go into disrepair and will be destroyed, especially as they are turned against the Lord's people, even as the Lord's end time servant brings them out of bondage. Verse six, for to us, a child is born, a son appointed who will shoulder the burden of government. He will be called wonderful counselor, one mighty in valor, a father forever, a prince of peace. That sovereignty may extend and peace have no end. That on the throne of David and over this kingdom, his rule may be established and upheld by justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forever, the zeal of Jehovah of hosts will accomplish it. So normally this verse is referring to um, Jesus Christ. And while ultimately all these metaphors of the Lord's end time servant point to Jesus Christ, uh, the way that Isaiah is using it in these verses, these metaphors actually apply to the Lord's end time servant. So, for to us a child is born, a son appointed. Uh, this has reference to that point where, just like Christ, when he began his ministry uh, after uh, years and years of preparation, so too after years and years of preparation of the Lord's end time servant, he will also receive his commission to begin his end time mission. And this is as a child being born to us and a son appointed who will shoulder the burden of government. So, you know, we find out that the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, destroy the leadership of the people, both political and spiritual. And that the, the, the land will be driven into chaos. And, you know, there will not be justice found or um, safe government to be had. But the Lord's end time servant will restore, you know, safe government and political rule to those on the end time exodus in the new Jerusalem and those who come out from the North countries and ultimately join new Jerusalem. He will be called wonderful counselor, one mighty in valor, a father forever, prince of peace, that sovereignty may be extended and peace have no end. Again, this is the, peace that has no end that will commence uh, in New Jerusalem. 
and will extend as the millennium opens, or at least the millennial period of peace opens with Christ coming in his glory. And so the Lord's end time servant not only has a pivotal role to play in the times that are leading up to Christ coming in his glory, but will also have a pivotal role to play during Christ's millennial reign itself. But on the throne of David and over his kingdom, his rule may be established and upheld by justice and righteousness. Okay. You know, again, we have metaphors for the Lord's end time servant from this time forth and forever. You know, the Lord's end time servant is literally following in the shoes of Jesus Christ. And as we learn in Joseph Smith's King Follett Discourse, when this earth is celestialized, uh, the glory will go to Jesus Christ, who will give it to his father, who will give it to his father, who will give it to his father. And everyone will take a step up on the grand eternal staircase of the gods. In fact, the Lord's end time servant. Um will in the eternities then move into a position that is likened unto um, the role and mission that Christ had for this earth. Verse 8. This message my Lord sent to Jacob, and it shall befall Israel. So, you know, the Jacob-Israel level of people are God's covenant people who have not yet followed his instruction about how he would have them repent and return. For when God's people follow the instruction about how he would have them repent and return, they ascend to the level of Zion, Jerusalem. And the instruction that you know, Christ gives us about how to repent and return is reiterated over and over and over again by the uh, Nephite prophets and recorded in the Book of Mormon and is given by Christ himself. And if we cross-reference to 3 Nephi chapter 9, verse 17, And as many as have received me, to them have I given to become the sons of God. Well, How we are to repent and return is the exact same way as we are to receive Jesus Christ and become his sons and his daughters, which is found in the first part of verse 20. And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and contrite spirit, but understanding that we only know in small measure what that even means. And so every day, the Lord's true covenant people go in prayer before him and express their desire and their willingness to offer up their broken heart and contrite spirit that they might become his people, that they might receive the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost, that they might, after they have received it, endure to the end and continue every day entering into that sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit that they might not fall but that they might continue to be numbered among the Lord's people. And, you know, these are they who are called by Isaiah, Zion, and Jerusalem. And it's 
Jacob Israel, who have the law given unto them, who should know better, who sh- because they have the scriptures before them, and it is throughout the scriptures how the Lord would have us repent and return, but they do it not, either because of laziness or they have not invested the time and effort that it takes into the scriptures to learn how um, the Lord asks us to repent and return and to covenant with him. Now, Christ has reference to the exact same uh, process of repenting and returning in 3 Nephi 16. Verse 13, but if the members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Gentiles will repent and return unto me. And again, this repenting and returning is to enter into the covenant of a broken heart contrite spirit, which terms we must receive by revelation. Saith the Father, Behold, they shall be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. Well, what is one of the things that happens with the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost? The Gentile blood is burned out of us, and we become blood Israel. So, right after Christ is prophesied to the Nephites in verse 10, that the members of the church of Christ under Joseph Smith would reject the fullness and would have the fullness taken from us, and we would be demoted to the preparatory gospel. Um, Yet Christ tells the Nephites, if those members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who have been demoted to the preparatory gospel will repent and return, or will enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, they will be numbered among my people, house of Israel, or they will be numbered among the people of Zion, Jerusalem. Those people that Isaiah refers to during the end times who will qualify for deliverance from bondage and from destruction. Verse eight. Um, again, in. Second Nephi 19 and Isaiah 9. This message my Lord sent to Jacob, and it shall befall Israel. Again, the warning to those who have not yet repented and returned, who have not yet entered into the new covenant with, with God. And the entire people, Ephraim and those who dwell in Samaria shall know of it. Now, it's important to understand that Isaiah uses historical precedent as Latter-day metaphor. And in his effort to use historical precedent, no one instance, no one person, no one entity, no one people um, historically cover all the situations that will exist during the end times. So Isaiah uses a variety of metaphors to refer to the same people. And so, you know, in this instance, you know, Ephraim, you know, and those who dwell in Samaria, you know, again, referring to members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he's about to call out our major sin. shall know of it who say in pride and arrogance of heart. So 
the major sin of the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints during the end times is our own pride. We're so prideful that although the Spirit has been coming to us for years and has been in a still small voice telling us and showing us that all is not well in Zion, that Zion is not prospering, that even though we are taught that we have the fullness of the gospel, yet we only have a small fraction of what was restored to Joseph Smith. And even though the Spirit has been telling us this for years, we're so caught up in the pride of our hearts that we are deaf of hearing and of understanding. It's the very opposite of entering into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit and receiving the terms of that covenant from him. Who say in pride and arrogance of heart. Verse 10. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stone. So in the arrogance of the members of the church, as we see the destruction begin to be wrought out by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, we will think that we have the power to fix it. Except we're not relying upon the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We think we do, but we're actually relying upon our own strength and our own wisdom and our own learning and our own understanding because that's what we've always been taught. And even though the Spirit has been trying to tell us and teach us differently the entire time, yet we will not listen. But we will rebuild with hewn stone. The sycamores have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. Again, um, it's, it's driving home the point of the pride and arrogance of both membership and leadership of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Verse 11, but Jehovah will strengthen Rezin's armies against them. When he stirs up their adversaries, Aramians from the east and Philistines from the west will devour Israel with open mouth. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that the people and the leadership of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, will have or have already entered into alliances they think will save them from the impending destruction. Um, however, these alliances that they think will save them from the impending destruction will turn against them and will fail. And, you know, as we have previously read in Isaiah, uh, the Lord has already warned us that these alliances would fail. And part of our arrogance is that we would not hearken unto the voice of his spirit and we would not trust him and rely upon him and enter into the new covenant and receive the terms of that covenant by revelation. Instead, we rely upon the arm of flesh. Um, we rely upon those who speak not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, neither do they prophesy by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost 
but of their own designs, their own imaginations, their own dreams, their own words. And we of all people should be able to tell the difference. And yet we are drunk in the hardness of our hearts and will not see and will not hear and will not understand. Verse 13. Or the continuation of verse 12. Yet for all this, his anger is not abated. His hand is still upraised. So again, we have um, metaphors of the king of Assyria and that it will turn upon the members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who will not repent and return. And even though there will be hardship and destruction, if the people, will not repent and return in the way that the Lord has commended us to do so. Um, We will not be delivered from destruction or from bondage. And the king of Assyria will prevail against us. And this is the very state of bondage from which the Lord's servant will deliver those who will enter into covenant with their God according to the terms that he has given and he has sent forth. Verse 13, but the people do not turn back to him who smites them, nor will they injure, nor will they inquire of Jehovah of hosts. So, you know, we have account after account of account in the book of Mormon of the Nephites being mightily blessed by the Lord, just as the Latter-day Saints were. And then going through that pride cycle and their hearts being come hardened. And it would not be until they were suffered with great affliction that they would finally repent and return. Well, Isaiah is prophesying that even though the Latter-day Saints will be suffered with great affliction, yet we still won't repent and return. Nor will they inquire of Jehovah of hosts. Verse 14. Therefore, Jehovah will cut off from Israel. Head and tail, palm top and reed in a single day. So in the next uh, you know, verses, we're going to get the definition of the head and the tail, and that's both political and religious leadership, that they are in parallel with each other, and that both are going to be destroyed. You know, Palm Top, you know, has reference to, uh, you know, Babylon um, anciently and read to Egypt And that all of this will happen very suddenly in a very short period of time, in a single day. The elders or notables are the head, the prophets who teach falsehoods, the tale. The leaders of these people have misled them. And those who are led are confused. Again, talking specifically about the Latter-day Saints. My Lord is not pleased with their young men, 
nor does he pity their fatherless and widows, because all alike are godless malefactors, and every mouth utters profanities. Yet for all this, his anger is not abated, his hand is upraised still. So those Latter-day Saints who will not repent and return, who choose to hold to with stubbornness to their pride will bring upon them their own death and destruction. And that this will actually be the majority. Now, the, the young men, let's cross reference that with DNC 101 and DNC 101 uh, verse 55, we have the return of the Lord's end time servant. And we have uh, similar metaphors being used uh, with the strength of the Lord's house and his people. 101 verse 55, and the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants. And in verse DNC 103, we learn that this is Joseph Smith Jr. in his second commission in his return. Go and gather together the residue of my servants and take all the strength of my house, which are my warriors, my young men, and they that are of middle age also among all my servants who are the strength of mine house, save only those whom I have appointed to tarry. And go ye straightway unto the land of my vineyard and redeem my vineyard for it is mine. I have bought it with money. Therefore, get ye straightway unto the land, break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their tower and scatter their watchmen. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of my house and possess the land. So the young men that Isaiah is referring to among Jacob and Israel are those who should know better. They should be on the forefront. They should be fighting the fight of the eternal God. They should be standing up for uh, revelation and, you know, how God's people are to repent and return and they are not. And even those who have been forcibly humbled among the Latter-day Saints, who the, the metaphor for them is, you know, the fatherless and widows, um, even those who have been forcefully humbled still will not turn unto their Lord, their God. They will hang on to their pride and their idols of brethren worship and would rather go down to destruction, even everlasting destruction, than um, displace their idol worship of the brethren with actual revelation from God. Uh, they refuse to discern a true prophet, i.e. Joseph Smith, when he returns from a false one. And how are they to know? Well, a true prophet speaks by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. A false prophet does not. Uh, we're told by Isaiah in Isaiah 48 and 49, which is uh, Nephi, 20 and 21 that Joseph Smith <coughs> will speak by the power and authority of the Holy ghost. 
he will declare that the prophecies that he has already made during his first ministry have now been fulfilled and are recorded in scriptures, i.e. in the Doctrine and Covenants. And he will bring forth new um, you know, doctrine, higher doctrine than has ever been brought forth since the foundation of the world. And, you know, by these three ways, uh, the people of God are to discern uh, the Lord's end time servant from false prophets. And he calls those who have been forcefully humbled among the Latter-day Saints, godless malefactors, and every mouth utters profanities, you know, it's not talking literally about what we consider to be swear words, but um, we will be putting up on pedestals the words of false prophets as if they were the words of true prophets. Yet for all this, his anger is not abated. His hand is upraised still, you know, talking about the king of Assyria, king of Babylon with anger and hand. 18, wickedness shall be set ablaze like a fire, and briars and thorns shall it consume. Now, the briars and thorns are the people who will not repent and return. And, you know, as we read in, again, DNC 101, verse 65, Therefore, I must gather together my people according to the parable of the wheat and the tares that the wheat may be secured in the garners to possess eternal life and be crowned with celestial glory. When I shall come in the kingdom of my father to reward every man, according as his work shall be while the tares shall be bound in bundles, their bands made strong that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. Again, we have reference to members of the church who even after the Lord has humbled them with the rod of his mouth, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, yet still will not repent and return. And these briars uh, that Isaiah is talking about are the tares that we read about in DNC 101. Wickedness shall be set ablaze like a fire, and briars and thorns shall it consume. You know, fire, again, has reference to the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. It shall ignite the jungle forests. All right. Now, in Isaiah, uh, trees represent people. You know, forests represent uh, communities and cities and towns. And mountains represent nations. So we have entire communities and cities being destroyed because they refuse to repent and return. And they shall billow upward in mushrooming clouds of smoke. At the wrath of Jehovah of hosts, the earth is scorched, and people are but fuel for the fire. Again, um, in this context, the wrath of Jehovah, and this fire is the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Although in other places in Isaiah, these same metaphors are used to describe the Lord's end time servant, Joseph Smith, Jr. Men will have no compassion for one another 
The reason that men will have no compassion for one another is that the misery and destruction will be so widespread that it will be all-consuming. And those who will have no compassion are those who remain hardened in their hearts and choose destruction rather than life, who choose false idols rather than the true and living God. Verse 20, they will snatch on the right, yet remain hungry. They will devour on the left, but not be satisfied. Men will eat the flesh of their own offspring. So this is setting forth the conditions of the bondage of the king, uh, the, the conditions that the Lord's covenant people will be brought into by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. They will be conditions of covenant curse, of famine and starvation. And yet the Lord extends his hand to them that they might be delivered, that they might come out from under, under covenant curse, under covenant blessing, but they will not. And, you know, Isaiah is trying to paint the picture of how dire and desperate it will actually be when he says men will eat the flesh of their own offspring. You know, how terrible, how horrible a scene of carnage uh, would have to exist for that to accurately portray the dire conditions that will be coming upon us. 21, Manasseh will turn against Ephraim and Ephraim against Manasseh, and both will combine against Judah. Or in other words, uh, things will devolve into, uh, you know, tribal conflicts and um, brother will be against brother and father against son and, you know, people against people and uh, war will cover the entire earth and literally the only place that peace will be found will be on the end time Exodus and in New Jerusalem. Yet for all this, his anger is not abated. His hand is upraised still. Or in other words, the work of destruction will be allowed to continue uh, until the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, has finished his work. And the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, is specifically being allowed to continue the work of destruction by the Lord. Even though the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, his leader is Lucifer, um, and he thinks that he is able to accomplish all of his designs because of the power of Lucifer. Yet the reason he is able to accomplish what he's able to accomplish is because he is acting as the staff in the Lord's left hand because the people have been warned and have been given every opportunity. They've even been humbled by him that they might repent and return, but they will not. Now, second Nephi 20, which is Isaiah 10. Woe to those who enact unjust laws, who draft oppressive legislation, 
denying justice to the needy, depriving the poor of my people of their right, making plunder of widows, mere spoil of the fatherless. So, you know, here we have the idea that those who do not enter into covenant with their God um, are in a state of injustice, of injustice. Um, it is every man for himself, you know, not only among the leaders of the nation, but also among the people. Uh, they, they deal not fairly with one another and they seek to take advantage. You know, it is the law of the jungle. Um, religious observance is what is done on Sunday and it is not carried over into how we conduct business or employment or carry out our life. Verse three, what will you do in the day of reckoning or in the day of judgment? You know, the day of the Lord, which the day of the Lord begins with the earnest work of bondage and destruction by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and culminates with Christ coming in his glory. When the Holocaust overtakes you from afar, to whom will you flee for help? Where will you leave your wealth? So if we're not repenting and returning at that day, all of the physical preparation in the world will not save us. Um, No alliances that we make, no uh, implements that we have acquired will be sufficient to save us from the destruction of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. The only salvation will be hearkening unto the voice of the spirit and worshiping the true and living God in the manner in which he has prescribed, not the manner which is prescribed to us by those who speak not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. This also um, makes us to understand that the destruction uh, will happen among many who are of sufficient means. And that for those individuals, it won't be a lack of personal resources that results in their destruction because that isn't what can deliver them. The only thing that can deliver them is Jesus Christ. And his agent for deliverance is the Lord's end time servant, Joseph Smith, Jr. Verse four, there shall nothing remain but to kneel among the captives or fall among the slain. Again, um, the pride and haughtiness, not only of the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but the whole world, will be brought down low. And there will be none that are able to remain in the pride of their hearts. Um, the sad thing is that even though that's the general situation, it will still not cause people to repent and return and come back to the Lord their God in the manner that he prescribes that they return to him.
Yet for all this, his anger is not abated. His hand is upraised still. So the work of destruction will continue and it will not end until the Lord comes in his glory. Hail the Assyrian, the rod of mine anger. He is a staff, my wrath in their hand. So again, the work of destruction that brings about this condition of desolation and hardship on a scale that we have never seen before on the earth um, occurs because the Lord allows it to occur. And he only delivers those who enter into covenant with him and do all in their power to abide by the covenant. Verse six, I will commission him against a godless nation, appoint him over the people deserving of my vengeance to pillage for plunder, to spoliate for spoil, to tread underfoot like mud in the streets. Nevertheless, it shall not seem so to him. This shall not be what he has in mind. His purpose shall be to annihilate and to exterminate nations, not a few. Um, although, you know, this individual uh, is probably not Bill Gates. You know, Bill Gates certainly does, you know, advance, you know, these concepts and ideas and certainly is inspired by, you know, the, the man who is the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, um, who wants to destroy most of the earth's population. Um, and even though the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, thinks that he's able to work out this work of destruction because of his own accomplishments, because of his own power, yet he is mistaken. The only reason that he is able to accomplish the work of destruction is because the Lord allows it against a people who will not enter into covenant with their God. Verse six, again, I will commission him against a godless nation, appoint him over the people deserving of my vengeance to pillage for plunder, to spoil it for spoil, to tread underfoot like mud in the streets. Nevertheless, it shall not seem to him. This shall not be what he has in mind. So he doesn't understand that he is actually being the agent of God in destroying the wicked. His purpose shall be to annihilate and to exterminate nations, not a few. So he is motivated by, you know, the, you know, sheer desire to watch the world burn. And, you know, so many people uh, can't acknowledge the existence of such a person or such a group of people um, who that could truly be their motivation and their desire, you know, because they think everybody is like they are. Um, but, you know, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon is, you know, a, a truly, you know, wicked individual who puts together a truly wicked organization that whose lust for blood is the reason um, for what they do. 
Verse 7. Nevertheless, it shall not seem so to him. This shall not be what he has in mind. His purpose shall be to annihilate and to exterminate nations, not a few. Now, may I say that the whole outline that Isaiah gives for the purposes and intent of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, are the ultimate goals and objectives of UN Agenda 21 and 2030, which if you'll go back and listen to the Saturday afternoon talk of um, Dietrich Christofferson, he extolled the virtues of UN Agenda 2030 and, and made the assertion that the LDS Church's goals were in alliance with UN Agenda 2030. Um, this should give every Latter-day Saint great concern. And um, if after notification like that, one does not awaken and repent and return, um, then one probably is not going to repent and return before the day of destruction comes. Verse 8. He will say, are not my commandment, are not my commanders kings, one and all? Has not Kalno fared like Karchemish? Is not Hamath as Arpad? Samaria no better than Damascus? As I could do this to the pagan states, whose statues exceed those of Judea and Samaria. Shall I not do to Jerusalem and its images, even as I have done to Samaria and its idols? Or in other word, the king of Syria, king of Babylon, is uh, becoming more and more emboldened by his successes and by the complete inability of the people of the earth to stand up against him. And he thinks that he is going to be able to proceed in his work of destruction against God's true covenant people. And he is mistaken in this. Verse 12. But when my Lord has fully accomplished his work in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, he will punish the king of Assyria for his notorious boasting an infamous conceit because he said, I have done it by my own ability and shrewdness for I am ingenious. I have done away with the borders of nations. And again, as I go through this list, look for the parallels to UN agenda 2030. I have done away with the borders of nations. I have ravaged their reserves. I have vastly reduced the inhabitants I have impounded the wealth of people like a nest and I have gathered up the whole world as one gathers abandoned eggs. Not one flapped its wings or opened its mouth to utter a peep or in other words, the world went along with their own destruction and received it uh, without fighting against it. You know, how many of us are uh, defying 
the king of Assyria, king of Babylon's edicts in something so simple like wearing masks. And if we can't defy um, such a simple thing like wearing masks, how do we ever think that we're going to be able to, you know, defy the orders of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, when it actually becomes very serious? Verse 14, I have impounded the wealth of peoples like a nest, and I have gathered up the whole world. As one gathers abandoned eggs, not one flapped its wings or opened its mouth to utter a peep. Shall an axe exalt itself? The axe being a metaphor of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Above the one who hews with it or a saw vaunt itself over him who handles it. Again, we have reference to the king of Assyria, king of Babylon is allowed to uh, carry on and finish his work of destruction because the Lord allows it. And, and yet he does not recognize the, the source of his ability to carry out the destruction. As though the rod wielded him who lifts it up as though the staff held up the one who is not made of wood. Therefore will the Lord Jehovah of hosts send a consumption into his fertile lands and cause a fire to flare up like a burning hearth to undermine his glory. Now we have a reversal of metaphors. Now the burning fire is the Lord's end time servant who goes against the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Verse 17, the light of Israel will be the fire. Okay, light and fire, again, metaphors for the Lord's end-time servant. And their holy one, the flame, and it shall burn up the devourer, his briars and thorns in a single day. So when the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, finally turns against um, Zion and Jerusalem, then the Lord's end-time servant will come out in destruction against the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And his fall and destruction will occur in a very short period of time. His choice forests and productive fields, it will consume both life and substance, turning them into a rotting morass. And the trees left of his forest shall be so few a child could record them. In that day, those who survive of Israel and who escape of the house of Jacob will no longer rely on him who struck them, but will truly rely on Jehovah, the Holy One of Israel. So there will be some in that Jacob-Israel category who have been brought into terrible bondage and have witnessed massive destruction and devastation who will finally repent and return. And will enter into the fold of God or Zion, Jerusalem. They finally will abandon their pride and will offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit. And when they do, they finally qualify for deliverance from bondage and from destruction and will be delivered. Verse 20. In that day, those who survive of Israel 
and who escape of the house of Jacob. All right, again, Israel, Jacob being that category of people who are the covenant people of the Lord who have not yet repented and returned, but these people finally repent and return. Of Jacob, a remnant will return to the one mighty in valor. So these will also be uh, led out by the Lord's end time servant. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sands of the sea, only a remnant will return. So, you know, this isn't the majority. You know, this is a small uh, minority of the Lord's covenant people who will choose to humble themselves rather than to go down to destruction. Only a remnant will return, although annihilation is decreed. It shall overflow with righteousness. Again, a metaphor for the Lord's end time servant. For the Lord Jehovah of hosts will carry out the utter destruction decreed upon the whole earth through the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Therefore, thus saith my Lord, Jehovah of hosts, O my people who inhabit Zion. All right, now Zion is that level of people who do repent and return, who do enter into the new covenant, who are earnestly seeking after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, or who have received it. O my people who inhabit Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians, though they strike you with the rod or raise their staff over you as did the Egyptians. For my anger will very soon come to an end. My wrath will become their undoing. So, you know, again, we have, you know, that class of people who um, were Jacob Israel and through the persecutions and the bondage and the suffering that they have endured, have ascended up the spiritual ladder and have become Zion Jerusalem to those people. The Lord says, hang on, I will deliver you. Verse 26, Jehovah of hosts will raise the whip against them as when he struck the Midianites at the rock of Oreb. His staff is over the sea and he will lift it over them. Okay. Again, the sea being the metaphor for chaos and the staff, you know, during periods of destruction being a metaphor of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and for deliverance of the Lord's people, the staff is representative of the Lord's end time servant. The staff in the Lord's right hand versus the staff in the Lord's left hand. So for his people who repent and return, the Lord, through his end time servant, will... Um, Subdue the power of chaos or the king of Assyria, king of Babylon and his work of destruction and will deliver his people. And he will lift it over them as he did do to the Egyptians. In that day, their burdens shall be lifted from their shoulders or from your shoulders. Their yoke removed from your neck. The yoke that wore away your fatness shall by fatness wear away. Again, this is a class of people who uh, would not repent and return when the opportunity was extended to them. But through um, being humbled 
by the fierceness of the wrath of God through the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, will eventually repent and return and humble themselves, they will also be delivered. He advances on Aath, passes through Migron. At Michmash, he marshals his weaponry. They cross over the pass, stopping overnight at Gibah. Ramah is in a state of alarm. Gibah of Saul is fleeing. So again, Isaiah is attempting to illustrate the, the success of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, that it has been a worldwide conquest and that he's been very successful. And signal the advance against the mountain of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. So the daughter of Zion are those people who repent and return. And that at the last, after he has destroyed everything else, finally the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, turns against the Lord's covenant people. Then, verse 33, will my Lord Jehovah of hosts shatter the towering trees with terrifying power. The high in stature shall be hewn down. The lofty ones leveled. The dense forest shall be battered down with the force of iron. And Lebanon fall spectacularly. So, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, will have virtually unopposed success um, in conquering and destroying the entire world until finally, at the last day, he will turn against the Lord's people, Zion, Jerusalem. And then through the Lord's end time servant, he shall be put down and destroyed as well as his force and his army that he has created to do the work of destruction. And I would add my testimony to Isaiah's and to Nephi's that the Lord does extend his arm to us, that he does instruct us through the words of the Book of Mormon exactly how he would have us repent and return, that he would have us strip pride far from us, that he would have us offer up our broken heart and contrite spirit unto God to diligently seek after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that once we have been warned that we will, with our might, do all in our power and capability and influence to warn our neighbors and our family and our loved ones that they might be spared from the work of destruction that is coming from the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and that those who do repent and return must not fear and must not allow their hearts to fail them and must not go along with the machinations that will be presented to them of bondage and destruction by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and his agents, but must rely and trust and have hope and exercise faith. And faith is to exercise um, or is to seek after, receive, and act on revelation from the true God and Lord of hosts, even Jesus Christ. And 
I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.